Good morning. Ever think you're doing the right thing and it turns out you're really not? Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Like trying to squeeze in a quick trip to the corner store before lunch with the boys and realizing as my items are being scanned that I left my wallet at home. Thankfully, Margaret High just happened to be in the same corner store at that very moment to bail me out. Or several years ago, when I did a peace walk from Pittsburgh to D.C. and decided to buy new hiking boots a couple days in advance of the trip. The day before I left, Rachel asked me if it wouldn't have been better to break those boots in before the three full weeks of hiking. Yeah, I'll be fine, I said. Well, at the end of the first day, as you can imagine, each of my feet were just one big blister. Those, of course, are just two brief examples of the long, long list of times I've been sure I had everything under control. I was doing everything right, and it turned out I wasn't. And this is the kind of situation Simon Peter finds himself in in this morning's passage from Matthew. It was just last week we heard about how Peter had gone out on a limb when everyone else was deathly silent to Christ's question, who do you say that I am? And Peter had had the guts to call him the Messiah. Yet no sooner has the fearless disciple Simon been given a new name, Peter the Rock, for his strength of faith and his willingness to speak truth in the face of uncertainty, then he goes and blows it big time. Christ, who Peter has just proclaimed the Messiah, the King of Kings, explains that now he must undergo terrible suffering and humiliation at the hands of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And not only that, but then he's going to be crucified, nailed to a cross to suffer an excruciating death. Oh, yeah, and then three days later he'll be raised from the dead. But I'm guessing the resurrection bit was kind of lost on the disciples and Peter, who were probably still aghast at the whole extreme suffering crucifixion bit. My guess is that the disciples' response to Jesus explaining his own horrid death was complete shock and probably utter silence. Until Peter, who had taken the lead so successfully last time, again speaks on behalf of the group. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. Now, he must have thought he'd get a, yeah, I just made that whole crucifixion bit up to see how you guys would handle it. <laughs> or if Christ really was serious, maybe at least a, thank you for your thoughtfulness, Peter. But this is something I have to do. But no. Oh, no. Instead, Christ simply says, Get behind me, Satan. Ouch. And then he says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. You see, earlier he named him Peter for rock in a positive sense, and now he's calling that rock a stumbling block. It's witty and ironic, and it's got to be pretty devastating to Peter. But then Christ explains himself a bit. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. How can that be, you might ask? Peter's response to Christ sharing about his death is filled with empathy. He cares about Christ. Well, 
Like so much of human complexity, what is said and what lies beneath the surface can be vastly different things. See, by Christ calling him Satan, he's taking Peter very, very seriously. What Peter says is a real temptation for Christ. That's why Christ says the same thing here that he said back when he was being tempted in the desert. Get behind me, Satan. Christ is called to sacrifice. And Peter is a real stumbling block, attempting to convince him that a great and glorious Messiah could never possibly lead in such a lowly, humble, painful way. So why does Simon Peter do this? Well, I don't know if it was a conscious decision or I think probably even more likely a subconscious one, but Peter's scared stiff. His response is not so much out of love as it is fear. If this is going to happen to my fearless leader, what's going to happen to me, one of his faithful followers? His seemingly caring statement is made totally out of self-preservation. And Christ sees straight through it, even if Peter doesn't. Peter has set his mind not on divine things, but on human things. Namely, a very personal human thing, saving his own skin. Now, we can't be too hard on Peter here. Not because he didn't blow it big, because he did. But because we're in the same boat. We're the church. And he's the rock upon which the church was built. He attempted to be faithful, be faithful and became a stumbling block. And I'm sure each and every one of us has tried and fallen terribly short. We set our mind on human things, things of this world, things that give us comfort and security, things that help us hide our insecurities and doubts, things that will protect us from pain, things that are important in the eyes of others who have status in this world. We've done this as a church. We have been a stumbling block to God's work here on earth. Time and time again, we've gotten it wrong. We have viewed the church as an opportunity for power, and have given it the values of this world. And we can simply point to the broader church and obvious stumbling blocks in church history like the Spanish Inquisition, but we can also find them in our own denomination and in the not-so-distant past. From the poor mixing of being church and being a business while downsizing at the Mennonite Publishing House a few years ago, to our African-American brothers and sisters not being allowed to take communion in some of our churches less than half a century ago. From our conference's unjust and hurtful stance on women in leadership for decade upon decade, to the humiliation and degradation that so many of our gay and bisexual brothers and sisters have experienced within the doors of our congregations, we have been a stumbling block. We, as a community that strives to follow Christ, have failed on many, many occasions. And it would be extremely hypocritical of me to make that statement without also saying that I have been a stumbling block. I have failed to live for Christ and for others in my daily life. Being a stay-at-home parent, I'm almost always around my boys. And I don't always give of myself like I should during my time with them. I can get petty about how long I've dealt with a difficult situation. When I get tired, I can discount the value of the conversations I have with the boys and go about our routines absorbed in my own self-pity. 
I don't mean to sound like I don't enjoy my work, because I really do. But I have, at times, been a stumbling block to these two beautiful gifts that God has brought into my life and Rachel's. I walk around this town with my two boys in tow almost every day. And there isn't a day that goes by that people don't engage me in conversation. A man pulling two kids in a red wagon is an easy person to talk to. (laughs) And very often, I respond to these people with a warm, yet light and brief response. And often that's fine. But sometimes I've been called to say more. To engage someone on a bit of a deeper level when they've given me more than just a quip or a passing comment, and I have failed. I can blame it on being an introvert. I can tell myself that I just didn't have the strength after a long day with the boys. But deep down, just like Simon Peter, I know the truth. So we can look at Peter in this text and write it off as a story of a disciple getting it wrong, but each of us can find these profound and troubling stumbling blocks in our own lives. So how do we avoid this? How do I avoid the easy and encouraged mindset of focusing on myself, which I do all the time? How do we avoid the pitfalls and temptations of this world? These temptations coerce us into building up layers of lies and half-truths into a facade, a mask with which we can hide our true selves behind. This is the way of our society. And if we're not careful, we can buy into the things of this world and the views of this world, even its view of ourselves. Jesus says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Denying ourselves doesn't mean denying who we truly are. But it does mean tearing down this false self, this facade. It means pulling off the comfortable, safe mask which which we hide behind and truly being ourselves. It means asking some tough questions. Questions not unlike, are we Mennonites because it's the known easy thing? Do we feign opposition to the empire in which we live while benefiting from it? Do we use the rubric of being in the world but not of it to remain safe and separate? Do we espouse simple living while becoming wealthy and powerful? Are we Mennonite because we follow the radical and uncomfortable learnings of our Anabaptist spiritual ancestors? Are we willing to be servant leaders as our leader Christ so humbly demonstrated? If we deny the false self, and pull off the fake mask of Mennonitism, if you would have called it, the one that this world and we ourselves have created for us, what do we find? Or again, more personally this morning, as I stand up here blathering on, am I trying to fit Christ's message into my understanding instead of taking Christ's message as the framework? Am I making the same errors as Simon Peter did centuries ago and serving you as a stumbling block instead of aiding in God's work? None of these are easy questions, and very few probably have straightforward answers. 
Although I do hope none of you feel the need to stand up and say, get behind me, Satan, when I finish. But we, will, we have to be willing to begin to tear down the facade, to admit to being a stumbling block, at least when we know we are. We need to admit to de- attempt to deny ourselves, our false selves, as Christ has asked us to. Christ said, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Once we deny ourselves, we quit being anti-others. The snares and pitfalls of this world are much less alluring. And we begin to experience love for ourselves and others the way that God loves us. We are loved. And we are valued. Even with all our imperfections even when we are stumbling blocks. To borrow the words of my daily spiritual director, Fred Rogers, God loves you just the way you are. And as the facade of our false selves begins to break apart, we are able to realize that simple, very simple truth, More and more. The more we open up to God's love, the more we tear down the facade and live for others, the more we sacrifice, the more we truly live, the truly happier we are. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. There is great pleasure to be found in being a servant of God by serving others. The weight and crippling negativity of societal pressure is gone. And we are free to see the world and each other more clearly. I remember one of the first times I realized this in Lancaster. I was getting ready to walk with Daniel down to market. And I'd gotten the stroller down to the sidewalk and was up on the porch getting Daniel when a woman walked by. Now, my stroller was directly in front of the steps, completely blocking the narrow sidewalk. And this woman flew into a rage, cursing and yelling at me for being so inconsiderate. She shoved the stroller back and continued on her, with her tirade as she walked down the street. Now, to explain the next part, I have to back up a bit. When we first moved here to Lancaster, I had just left a position at a church and was embarking on a brave new frontier, being at home with a baby. And something that I promised myself that I'd do as I started this new era of my life was to try to find the spiritual in my everyday life. Focusing on finding Christ in my life at home and witnessing the spirit at work in the excitement and exploration of my young son brought me a peace and inner calm I'd never known before. And so when this furious woman spat such venomous words at me and my young son, well, my initial emotion, of course, was just shock. But I would have expected to feel angry or at least confused about a woman yelling in front of my son and for such a ridiculous reason. Instead, because of what I have to attribute to the peace and love of Christ I felt, I experienced an overwhelmingly aching sadness for this angry, tormented soul. Denying ourselves and taking up the cross helps us rise above the fray to see things for what and who they really are. 
We are freed from the struggle of me or us versus them. And instead, we are called to find ways of encouraging the cracks in the societal facade. Now, when I say we can find pleasure in serving, I'm not saying that by taking up the cross, we are not called to do very difficult and sometimes very painful things. Sometimes we are called to do the heroic, to give in very big, momentous ways. Whether that's a term with MCC halfway around the world or joining a Christian peacemaker team in a very difficult situation or a million other ways that require a dramatic change in our lives. And in some cases, being willing to sacrifice our life to follow Christ. But all of us, all of us are called to take up the cross in our daily lives, in the humdrum routine, in the all too well known. And this is of no less value, is of no less importance. Are we willing in big ways and small ways to risk doing countercultural work, showing God's love and grace and Christ's peace and humility to the empire we today find ourselves in? One of these very small yet, I think, powerful ways that I've felt called to taking up the cross during our time in Lancaster has been simply walking downtown with the boys. I know that sometimes I've been too preoccupied with myself to appreciate or encourage it. But even then, I think sometimes our presence has been a gift. The first time this hit me was a couple summers ago when Daniel and I were down at the fountain at Bins Park. It was over the lunch hour, and there were lots of business people sitting around eating their lunches and lots of elderly folk out enjoying the beautiful day. And Daniel was the only kid running around in the fountain, and for the first couple of minutes, he'd managed to stay dry, miraculously, until he decided to run directly through the center of the fountain. He sprinted, arcs of water going over his head. He thought he'd made it. He yelled, Daddy, I didn't get wood. When this huge stream of water from directly in front of him hit him straight in the face, he gasped at the surprise and the cold, and the whole park erupted in laughter. I was amazed at the transformation on so many faces that it seemed so stoic just moments earlier. It was then that I realized that Part of being called to stay at home with our boys was simply to do so while being part of the community in which we live. So we go to the fountain in the summer almost every day, and we sit at the bus station and wave to the buses as they leave the terminal. And we've gotten to know some of the regulars at the fountain and market. And on those days when I personally am a stumbling block, and there are too many of those days, I can at least know that the boys with their floppy blue sun hats and their sunscreen-lathered, pasty white bodies, sitting in the back of a bright red wagon, are bringing smiles and memories of other happy times to so many we walk past on the sidewalk and even more in the steady stream of traffic passing by. I know it's a very, very small crack in the societal facade. But it's a crack. 
Christ asks us to be willing to lay down our life for him. And while we are no longer persecuted like Christ or our Anabaptist spiritual ancestors, what we do today, both big and little, can be as significant as laying down one's life. We are called to follow every day, to obey, to sacrifice every day, not just in extraordinary times. What does that mean for us? How are we called to help ourselves and others begin to tear off that mask of self-doubt, self-hatred, self-obsession, self-preservation, and so many other false selves so that we can feel and know God's love more fully? How are you called to take up the cross? How are we called as a community of Christ's followers? Maybe some of us are already doing what we're called to. And maybe some of us are called to do more, whether big or small. As we follow in Simon Peter's footsteps, we will undoubtedly continue to be a stumbling block at times. But we can try to follow the lowly, humble path Christ has shown us. We can do our best to discard the labels and facades our society creates for us and others. We can continue to engage others in ways that show God's love and value for everyone. And since I've been sharing from my life with the boys this morning, I'll leave you with one last story. One day I was driving Daniel to preschool and we just merged onto the highway. When out of the blue, from the back seat, Daniel says, Daddy, I will be sad when you die. But when I die, I will run to you in heaven. I don't know what caused this sudden thought. But I must admit that I do look forward to that day. And we should all look forward to such a day when we will run to the loving arms of our creator. Until that day, rock or stumbling block, we will continue to pick up the cross and follow.